invite you to take a Bible and to open it to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We said last week as we began 1 Thessalonians that though it is one of the earliest, if not the earliest, letter written in the New Testament, much of what it discusses is actually future things and the return of our Savior. And so even though it's one of the earliest, it considers some of the the later events that all of us anticipate. Uh, And for us to pick it up in chapter 5, the apostle has already encouraged the believers there to say that already in their time, as people were anticipating the return of Christ, some who were anticipating that had already died and gone on to be with the Lord. And so part of Paul's goal was to encourage them to say even those who have gone on before us will not miss out on any of the blessing that will come to all believers when that day happens no one will have wished they could have just lived a little bit longer to see it every good thing that God will bring to bear in his return will be experienced and received by all those in every generation who have put their faith and trust in Jesus. And so he assures them at the end of chapter four to say, so we still grieve those who we've lost. And all of us have people in our lives who are no longer with us. And we grieve their absence from us. But the apostle wants them to know that we can grieve that loss, but still have hope that they will receive every blessing that is promised to the followers of Jesus whenever it is that Christ returns. But we also said last week that this same event will create different reactions for people. Um, For some, it will be rejoicing and celebrating. It'll be a reunion uh, and making permanent uh, all of the good things that we've experienced. But for others, the Bible warns that for those who are outside of Christ, it will be a time of weeping and a time of losing. And so this very same event holds both a warning and a sense of anticipation for us. Uh, much like this past week, uh, I mentioned uh, last week that our family has moved into a new home and it's, uh, it is a new home that didn't have a yard yet when we uh, acquired it. And so uh, grass was planted right before we moved in. And so it's been our responsibility to water it every day because it's really important in those first few days of a brand new lawn to water it every day. So for this past week, we've had a very different reaction than probably a lot of other people as it rained a lot this week, uh, more so than it has for most of the summer. Like every time it rained, we were like, yes, we don't have to go set up the sprinkler system. Like it's doing it on its own. And then even as the week went on, I realized we're probably also having a different reaction than some of our neighbors who do not yet have their grass planted because for us, the rain is now making our grass stronger and for them, it's making their dirt yard now muddier. And so we are probably, even just a few houses away, having a very different reaction from the same phenomena that's happening. Well, in this uh, reality of the day of the Lord, uh, part of why we talk about it is because we do long that everybody would have the same hopeful anticipation of that day. Um, But that hope and that goodness is reserved for those who place their faith in Jesus. And so here's how the Apostle Paul, after 
encouraging the believers to say nobody's going to miss out on the goodness of it. This is what he says in chapter 5. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. And since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, to admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. And now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all of the brothers. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And that will conclude our reading for this morning. In this letter that Paul gives, trying to encourage the discouraged believers in Thessalonica about the future, one of the things that he highlights for them that is important, as I've already mentioned, for all of us, is that we can get through life without a lot of things that maybe even we would be surprised by. <laughs> but one thing that we cannot get through life as God intended for us to live it without is without hope. We all need hope. We all wish we had a few more answers than we currently have. We wonder why certain things happened. We wonder how long certain things will last. We have questions, and we would long for answers. But even without getting answers to all of our questions, if we have hope that there will be an answer, or that someone knows the things that we don't know, we can find the strength that we need to keep on going, 
even in our uncertainty, in our lack of information or knowledge. If we can find something else or someone else that can give us hope, that the things that we don't know or don't control does not mean that they are out of control and that no one knows. We can find what we need to continue to live the way that God would want us to live in this day and age. And so our chapter opens by Paul acknowledging there are questions around times and seasons that we might have that none of us are going to be given the specific answers to. And that doesn't mean we then all have to be sad and despairing because of that. Because he'd already said, if we can be people who grieve with hope, we can now face this uncertainty of this future still with hope. Because while the Bible does not give us answers for every single problem that has happened or every injustice that exists in the world, it regularly tells us stories that can build up our faith to say we have reasons for hope and we all need it. I mean, uh, the, the brothers of Joseph thought that they had committed a crime against their brother that likely meant that he was no longer alive. They came back and they told their father that he was no longer alive. And years and years had gone on in their lives. And then eventually a famine had struck all of them where they were all now in despair. And it seemed like all hope was lost. And then not only did they discover that there was food elsewhere, but the brother who they had all thought was gone was actually alive. When we read that story in our Old Testament, it tells us, again, not why did they do the terrible thing they did and why did it last so long, but it gives us this sense that from their perspective, when all hope seemed lost, God found another way to add to the story something that gave everyone hope. The whole nation of Israel was facing an enemy that nobody seemed prepared to go after in Goliath. None of their soldiers and their king did not have the courage or the strength to go after him. And it seemed like all hope was lost until in, in an unexpected way, a new person entered the story and said, I'm willing to go in young David before he was king and say, I'm going to trust God to bring about a different end than what right now feels like a foregone conclusion that we're simply gonna lose. There seemed to be no hope when the government forces in Babylon turned against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and sentenced them to punishment, to a fiery furnace. And as you read the story, it just feels like, oh no, this is not going to end well until there was another in the fire with them. These are the ways that the stories of Scripture continue to encourage us. That when from our perspective it seems like all is lost or that sin has had its way or that there is no future, that God regularly finds ways to give us hope and to say what looks like it's lost to you or over is actually not lost to God and not unknown to him and he knows how to bring about uh, the good that he has promised. 
And then we see that most dramatically displayed in Jesus himself. That when the religious leaders of his own background turned against him and then they got the Roman leaders to sentence him to death and they conspired together to bring to end the life of our Savior, it seemed like, even from the disciples' perspective, like it was over. That there was no hope. And that the women who went to the tomb on that Easter morning, they went thinking that they were simply going to further prepare his body appropriately to stay buried until an angel said, he's risen. Go and see the place where they laid him. He's not there. And that gave hope, fear and hope, wondering, oh no, what does this mean? We all need hope. And the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to say, as we look forward to the future, knowing that he is going to come, knowing that he is going to fulfill all the promises he's, that he has made is all that we need to know. That gives us the hope to now do all the other things we need to do. We don't need all of the answers for when and why and how it's going to take place. But we have hope that he is going to return that he's going to fulfill his promises. And so then this hope in our lives manifests itself in a few different ways. And the first one is that hope leads to integrity. If we are people who live with this kind of hope, that our joy and sense of expectation of the future doesn't come from the headlines and the news, it doesn't come from the circumstances around us, it comes from what we believe to be true about God and his word, we can now live lives with integrity and transparency. This is what he means when he says, you're children of the light, you're children of the day. We're not of the night or of the darkness. We don't have to live in fear, hiding everything we do or think. We can live openly. Other people can examine our lives and see how we live our lives. Not that we live perfectly and that nobody could criticize anything we do, but because we have this expectation that God is where our hope comes from and he is returning, we don't have to pretend anymore. We don't have to hide it or fake it in our lives. We can allow our lives to be lived in the fullness of the light, transparent before others. They can ask us questions and that's not just true of us individually, that's true of us organizationally. As Christians, we should desire as much integrity and transparency and accountability in the things that we do and how we conduct our business with people and how we communicate and, and, and write to people. But most of us would be a little bit intimidated if all of a sudden I said, uh, would you mind you know, handing me your cell phone and I could like look through your emails or your text messages? And I'd be a little bit intimidated if I said, you know, yeah, here you go. Like, examine how I communicate to people. <laughs> uh, what I write to them. Uh, what my tone is. And part of that is it's hard to pick up tone when you don't know somebody really well. But as much as possible as Christians, we should encourage each other to say, we should live in every area of our lives that if somebody else were to come in and observe, they would say, look, you're not perfect but I can see that you're trying. I can see that you're uh, communicating uh, with integrity, that you're not being deceitful. You're not telling this person one thing and then telling this person another thing. 
I can remember a time where I felt the accountability uh, in a grocery line because uh, I had all of the boys with me at the grocery store and uh, things were taking a little bit longer uh, that they wanted and I, trying to keep like three kids who have a lot of energy in a very tight like line obedient and then there's candy bars on this side and there's like toys on this side. It's a tall task. And the person in front of me was making it very clear that she was not very happy with how my kids were behaving. And so I was just kind of in my mind trying to also, you know, corral them, but also, you know, in my temptation thinking, how could I possibly um, also let this lady know, like, I'm trying, like, please, you're, you're not facing anything as difficult as what I'm facing right now. And then in front of me, she was trying to buy something that she didn't have, like, the proper scan for. And so now I had to wait much longer in line because they had to send somebody to go find the product number in order to do it. And so now I just, in my mind, I had all these prepared sort of comments. And then I remembered I was wearing my Lakeside t-shirt. And I was like, oh, I don't think I can say anything right now um, to try to put somebody in their place uh, because it will not only reflect on me, but it will reflect on anybody who comes to Lakeside in this moment. And I don't, I shouldn't have to wear a t-shirt or any sort of a banner that says I'm a Christian to then add for me the sort of extra accountability of, wait a minute, the things I say, how I say them, how I treat people, that those aren't just personal choices. Those are public choices. It affects how everybody views one another uh, by how we conduct ourselves. And here, if we have hope that this is ultimately going to work out, we should be able to live with integrity and openness and transparency. And not only integrity, but then it also says that hope leads to gratitude. In verse 12, then he shifts and says, We ask you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. As we have a hope of a future and we think about who is it that continues to make a difference in our lives or even simply historically has made a difference in our lives to get us to the place where we have this hope. Wow. How do we show the proper respect and honor and esteem to them who have been a part of God's plan to get us to where we are? So I don't think this only applies for the Thessalonians to say who's right now in leadership in the church. I think it applies to in your life's journey, who has God used along the way to help you be where you are? You know what would be great to do? Have you written them a note in a long time to say what a blessing they were in your life? How much of an encouragement they were? That might have been a coach in high school. That might have been a Sunday school teacher in the church of your youth. It could be all kinds of different people. But here the Apostle Paul is saying, highly esteem, extravagantly bless and thank the different people that God has used in your life to bring you to where you are and to also those who have the responsibility over you in the present allow the hope you have for the future create this sense of joy and celebration in the present to think about and to express the gratitude that you have for the faithfulness of people in your lives 
over the years. We all have that. If you think about some of the people that have made the biggest difference in your life, when you were discouraged, they helped lift you up. When you felt weak, they were strong for you. When you were faint-hearted, they gave the courage that you were lacking. And as you think about them, the encouragement that the Apostle Paul is giving is allow yourself to express that, to esteem them and honor them. It can be with words, it can be with time, it can be with gifts, but it would be good for you as you're waiting for the next thing to not forget about the last thing that God has done for you and the ways that he has provided for you. And then lastly, um, it's just sort of hard to summarize all of these things because you could, you could spend time uh, reflecting on all of them. Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays evil for evil, always seek to do good, rejoice always. I mean, every one of those you could break apart and spend time reflecting on. So when I tried to think of, well, how do you summarize all of that? Uh, it was to say that hope leads to Christ-likeness. So hope leads to integrity, it leads to gratitude, and then ultimately it leads to Christ-likeness. If what we are hoping for is his return, his desire is that we become more like him as we anticipate him coming near. That we would get closer to him as he comes closer to us. If that's our hope, if our excitement and joy is that he is coming again, do we desire to become more like him so that whenever that day takes place, we're reflecting his character? Because all of us eventually emulate the people that we respect and look up to. And so if it's in sports and we watch somebody who's really good at sports, we try to become like them. If it's in academics and we really appreciate someone's research and how they teach, we try to aspire to them. If it's at work, we look up to a mentor who just seems to do their job well. We become more like the people we look up to. And so if we are thankful for who Christ is and what he's done and we're anticipating his return, it makes sense that for however much time there is between then and now, our primary desire would be to become more like him. That our attitude would reflect his. And did he not admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak? Was he not patient with them all? Did he not repay no one evil for evil, but always sought to do what was good? Did he not amazingly rejoice in all circumstances and pray without ceasing? Yes, he did. And so our desire to become more like him as we anticipate his coming near to us is what the apostle encourages us to. And so it's not a list that even finds its completion as it's expressed here, but it's in this list and any other ways that we can think of Christ's character manifest on the earth, we should consider how we could emulate that ourselves more. Uh, as a family, when we, uh, before we moved last week, we had had the opportunity the weekend before to finally have a memorial service for my father-in-law uh, when all of his children from South America and grandchildren could be present. And it was a beautiful time as a family to hear the different testimonies of the love that they had uh, for their son, their friend, their father, grandfather, 
But if you didn't know my father-in-law, he was just somebody who loved to serve people. And he was so practical. And if he didn't know how to do something, he learned how to do something. And so before YouTube, like he would go to the library, the encyclopedia, and read about how to do something if he didn't know how to do it in order to do it. And one of the things that I grieve is that he was supposed to teach our kids all the things that he knows that I don't know about how to fix and do things uh, in the world. Uh, But as multiple testimonies were shared um, about him and his faithfulness and his practical service to so many people, um, it was shortly thereafter, after we had that celebration as a family and a memorial service, uh, that then it was only a few days later that we finally had the opportunity to have the keys to move into our new house. And then very shortly thereafter, we found out that somebody in our family had now again tested positive for COVID. And we didn't know now how many people had it, but we knew that all of us had just been together as family now, just enjoying this very rare time that we get every couple of years. But what that meant for us immediately was that I then called off everybody who had volunteered to help us move who wasn't a part of our family. Because I was like, I don't know who has it. I don't want to give it to anybody else. And so there we were on a Wednesday afternoon, and I had to say to my brother-in-laws, I actually need you. I don't know if you were planning to help me because I did not want to make any part of your vacation now here in America uh, for just a few weeks every couple years to be doing work for me. That's not what I wanted. I want to take you somewhere nice and treat you to something nice, but I actually need you. And sure enough, they all came, and we had, uh, it was just most of Amy's family together helping us. And from a three-year-old to a four-year-old to a five-year-old, so I instantly knew this is going to go a little bit slower uh, than I was anticipating. Uh, We still got the truck back on time, uh, but I was like, this is going to become uh, exclusively a family opportunity uh, to help us. And when it was all done, I just looked back and I said, I knew, one, if he would have been here, uh, he would have loved, and it would have been a joy for him to help us. It would not have been a burden for Tom to come and serve and give a whole day or a course of a few days to do this. And so though he wasn't here to do it with us, I saw that same practical love in his three-year-old granddaughter, in his six-year-old grandson, in his daughter, and his son-in-law, and that all together there was this beautiful reflection of the legacy of our loved one. And in that same kind of a way, our Savior is not here with us now like he was with his disciples. But it is his intention in the world to manifest his character and his kindness to the world through a little bit of you and a little bit of you and a little bit of you and a little bit of me and all together, we have this opportunity to reflect him. And as the world sees it, that they would then join in our longing for his ultimate return. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your word and the reminder it is of just how good and great you are that before you ever called us to encourage the faint-hearted and to help those who were weak and to be patient with all, that you did all of that for us, that you loved us in those good and kind ways, that you had the courage in the Garden of Gethsemane to pray without ceasing and to surrender to the Father's will for each and every one of us. 
And so now they do ask us to pray without ceasing, to rejoice in all circumstances, to give thanks to you for everything. We pray that you would help us to do that. That collectively we could be agents of you in this world, showing the world just how good and great ultimately it will be when you do return in glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.